Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and maybe learn something new about someone else's perspective. So, of course, do the internet stuff. Like and subscribe. And guys, comment below, especially. That helps catch the algorithm. Let us know your thoughts below. Interact with people. Um, that'll be greatly helpful. We get a lot of people that watch, not a lot of people that comment. So we need more comments. So go ahead and do that. And if you can leave us a review, go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let people know why you like the show and all that good stuff. So, um, and also you have to forgive me if I sound terrible and I cough or anything, I've been fighting allergies all day so much so where my, my eyes were like watering and feeling like they were on fire, like all of Hades opened up and just threw up on my eyes. It's been annoying. I've been crying all day and I'm not even sad. So it's been very frustrating because it's been hurting my masculinity, but what do you do? You know, here we are. It's what happens when you trim your giant glorious beard. <laughs> but anyway, all joking aside, guys, uh, I'm excited about today's topic because today's topic is the creation account. Now, I'm only going to discuss the creation account, all right? I'm not discussing every little minute detail. Uh, now, granted, also another thing to mention here is you know, there's no way I'm going to ever be able to speak into this topic and settle the debate for everybody. You know, Will is not a biologist or a scientist or a ge geologist or any of these things, okay? I'm a theologian and a philosopher and a professional, like, verbal fighter, okay? <laughs> I have too much daggone fight me in my system. That's my real career, and that's why I started the church split, you know? But anyway, uh, so the thing is to understand with this, and I want us to understand the fact that there are things we can be united on, and there are things that we will have to be disunified dis on. There's fundamentals and there's tertiary. And believe it or not, the creation account, as far as the, the specificities, is a tertiary issue. And I, everyone, put your guns down, put your guns down, hear me out, okay? I know this is a touchy subject for many of you, especially because uh, we are part of the RFP network. Uh, so go to rfpnetwork.org to see the other podcasts that are affiliated with us. But we are part of that network of podcasts. And uh, many of those people who come from that network with that network is reaching came from the, from a young young earth creationist background. So to hear me say that this is a tertiary issue is crazy because, I mean, think about it. Ken Ham tells people all the time that if you don't believe in young earth creationism, that you are now a Bible denier. And he's gone after Dr. William Lane Craig, which is crazy because that's completely friendly fire. You know, they're both supposed to be defending the faith. And just because he disagrees with Ken on that uh, on the age of the earth is just seems crazy that he would be labeled as like a Bible denier or, or all these other things. Um, and unfortunately, Ken Ham did not represent his side well at all in that debate with him and Bill Nye. That was the most irritating debate I've ever watched in my life. You literally had the entire debate was uh, Bill Nye being like this scientific thing, this scientific theory, this scientific theory. But then the entire time you had Ken Ham going, but worldview, worldview, worldview. And it's like they were talking about two totally different things. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, very frustrating. I would not recommend going to that uh, debate to try to settle the score because it's not going to work. So there are conservative scholars who are young earth creationists, and there are conservative scholars that are old earth creationists. Some of you guys might not even know this, but uh, C.S. Lewis was an old earth guy. And I think that's funny because most people love C.S. Lewis and would never say anything ill about him. Kind of like some people who are very anti-Calvinist will speak 
speak just nothing but glowing words of Charles Spurgeon, ignoring the fact that he was indeed a Calvinist. Things like that, just where people don't seem to be aware of some things. And it's funny because it's almost like if you, like these people don't know what Calvinism is, and they just know they love Spurgeon. And you know what's funny about that is the fact that it doesn't affect their unity with Spurgeon. <laughs> or these people who didn't know that C.S. Lewis was an old earth guy, you know, they're like, oh, what? He was? and But you still were blessed by his work? It's because there's unity in the fundamentals, guys. That's the point. So we can figure things out by reading the text, okay? So we can read through Genesis 1 and really get an idea of the text. And yeah, that's great. It's not saying that the text isn't trying to communicate anything with us, but nowhere does the text actually set out to teach us the age of the earth. Now, somebody might go, whoa, 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 but the genealogies. Yes, the genealogies are there, but the genealogies tell us the age of people, not the age of the earth. Okay, those are two totally different things. One deals with geology, the other one deals with biology. So those are distinctly different things and two different things to debate because some people want to debate the age of the earth and some people want to debate the age of, say, how old Adam was when he died. Were those real years or were those years more of a theological concept? You know, those numbers, you know, having theological parallels like the number seven is the idea of perfect and oneness. Um, now, granted, I can already hear somebody go, ooh, but to dig into the numbers is Gnosticism. Look, I'm not going to get into all that with you. That's not what today is about because, guys, there is – there. each person has merit for why they believe what they believe. So whatever the correct view is, we wouldn't say that the Bible is incorrect. I want to make sure this is clear. Because this happens a lot. Like I've had plenty of conversations with atheists who, who will argue, who will start making the same really extreme conservative fundamentalist uh, statements of how rigid some of these things are, like exactly how to interpret scripture. Well, once that fell apart, my entire faith fell apart. Well, guys, the thing is, it's not about what the that the, it's not that the Bible is incorrect. It's the fact that we can be wrong in our interpretation. So that's that needs to be clear. So if you, something seems to fall apart for you biblically, maybe you're just reading it wrong. Maybe you just need to do a little bit more research there. That's important to do. So anyway, let's go through this a little bit. There's a couple things I want to read. Uh, I'm using uh, my CSB, my Christian, my Christian Standard Bible, and that's because Christian Standard Bible is known to be very faithful to the Hebrew text. And so there's little nuances in here that you might not notice before. Uh, so let's start this off by reading the first couple verses. John uh, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. So Genesis 1 is obviously discussing the very creation of the universe. And this is where we get into the Kalam cosmological argument. If you wanted, I have a sermon on it. You can check it out on the channel. I haven't done a full breakdown video of that yet, but the, the sermon will give you enough of the idea. The idea is simply this. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And that God is the most logical answer to that. Because, you know, you can't have time, space, and matter. It's called a continuum. You can't have time, space, and matter um, separate from each other. If you ha don't have matter, you have no. If you have matter but no space, you have nowhere to put the matter. If you have space but no matter, you have, well, nothing, right? <laughs> so, so, and then if you have no, if you have time, don't have time, then when would you put it? So you see, there's all these different things. So they they all need each other. And that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, we have time being created. The heavens space, and the earth matter. So those that's important. So anyway, so let's talk about some of the views. Uh, and of course, by the way, about that, God 
is outside of time, space, and matter. So when he creates, he creates into it. So it's a little bit different there, and it makes more sense that God would be outside of it uh, in order to create it. So anyway, yeah, you're usually not in the very thing you're creating. Anyhow, but uh, literal. so there's a few views at this, and the most popular view that people like to talk about in Christianity, unfortunately, uh, gets a bad rap amongst many people, but is the literal historical young earth creationism. Now, just so you guys are aware, um, I am not here to talk about my views of any of this. So somebody is like, well, Will, you didn't say where you stood on this. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> and I'll explain as that goes on. I really don't care people's views about how exactly the details are that, the God, that God created it. Point is to me that God created it. So we have literal, historical, young earth. All right, so this is the young earth creationism. This is the Ken Ham style. So this idea is that Genesis 1 is providing a straightforward, literal account of creation. You read it like a, you would read a novel. So the days of creation are 24-hour periods of time. Each day was some, something was created, including man, and that the day, word for day, is yom in Hebrew, and that it means a 24-hour period. So with this, many young earth creationists believe we can date backwards to the general period of creation, which is, they say when you take all the genealogy, just combine it six to 10,000 years old. So they believe that Earth is about six to 10,000 years old. Some say up to 15,000 years old, but that's about it. Now, the other thing that they do is that, so people will go, well, we have carbon dating that says X, Y, Z. Well, young Earth creationists will point to the inaccuracies in carbon dating, and there are inaccuracies. It's not always completely faithful. So they'll point to that. Then also, the other th uh, argument is, well, God created Adam with age, right? Like he was probably, he was a, he was a man, so mid-20s, maybe 30s. He created Adam with age, so could he not have created the rest of the universe with age? Uh, and that's how, the, that's how they would, could answer the stars. And there's a lot of other things that with the starlight that they explain as far as how we can see it when it's light years and light years away. So anyway. So going back in genealogy brings you to a close time period of creation. That's the idea. And so modern cosmology, to put it in contrast, so we're, they're saying six to 10,000 years old, modern cosmology says that the Earth is four to five billion years old and the universe is 15 to 20 billion years old. So and that's B with a B, okay? <laughs> uh, so young Earth creationists sometimes believe other perspectives do damage to biblical authority and trustworthiness. And that'll be the biggest charge. But I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's okay to do with the other people, and I'm going to explain exactly as to why. So remember, though, that the figurative language takes place all throughout Scripture using imagery, poetry, allegory, and so many things. There, the Bible has a lot of pictures. Read the book of Revelation, and you get a ton of it. So we must ask what genre is Genesis chapter 1. Well, early chunk of Genesis, maybe many people know this, is Hebrew poetry. So then people go, wow, do we interpret as completely allegorical then, like a lot of poetry? Or what else? So here's the thing. We also need to understand that just, and the young earth creationists would say this, that just because it's written in Hebrew poetry does not mean it's not poetically describing real events. This happens all the time, like in a well, in, in Psalms and many other things, many of us, or even songs that we sing that are folk songs about different periods of time of warriors fighting or whatever, some tragedy, and they're usually based on true story, they're literal, yet being sung poetically. So that would be the response there. So anyway, but now, now the thing is, is that this, though this is popular, I do not think it's okay to pit against everyone else because everyone else has a different interpretive method. And that's the thing, is that they're all trying to be faithful to the text, 
uh, most of them anyway, <laughs> while having a different interpretive method into the text. Um, and no matter what, you are going to, with an interpretive method, whether you're trying to be literal, literal interpretation is a, is a interpretive method. Whether you like to admit that or not, it just is. Um, now we can argue about which one's best, but that's what this whole conversation is about, is which one is best, <laughs> right? So anyway. Then we have the, the gap theory. This is the one also known as the restoration view, that God's trying to restore a destroyed creation. Uh, also, I call it my conspiracy theory view because I think the gap theory is just, if you're a conspiracy theorist or you just enjoy conspiracy theories, even if you don't subscribe to these conspiracy theories, just enjoy them because they're crazy, uh, the gap theory is going to tickle that for you a little bit because it's like, ooh, yeah, you connect this down, and this down, and you put this together, and you find this. Um, and that kind of makes it fun. Um, so a gap... The idea here is that a gap of time exists between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So there's a big gap of time. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Big space of time. So he created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty and all that. So that's the idea here. So there's a giant thing there. And what's funny is that the Schofield Bible actually affirms this. And uh, it's funny because many King James-only advocates use the Schofield Bible and their young earth creationists and find the gap theory to be abhorrent. So I find that just, just beautifully ironic. But anyway, uh, it says that God created the heavens and the earth in verse 1 and that the earth was without form in verse 2. Now, what does this mean? Well, Tahu, the, form, uh, the Hebrew word for without form, also formless, uh, and the word bahu, which is void, uh, usually refers to something that has been corrupted, wasted, or judged. See places like Deuteronomy 32.10. It usually refers to something that has been corrupted, wasted, broken, judged. You get it. So when it's saying that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, it was saying that it was corrupted and wasted and judged. Well, you're like, well, how? But they haven't fallen yet. Well, that's what, that, this is just the way that they're interpreting these particular words, and I'm going to show you why they believe that. So then notice how when it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters and the uh, surface of the watery depths, that darkness covered it. So again, we have darkness, we have the void, we have all these different things. Well, the deep was negative usually in, connot in connotation in the ancient Mesopotamian area. So it's important to also understand that. So you have this idea of Tahu and Bahu, you know, it's formless and void, you know, corrupted, it's wasted. It's, it, then we have the, this depths that are negative in connotation, this evil void almost. Uh, and then some would say that some scholars would argue that when it says now the earth was formless and empty, that the word for was in the Hebrew should be translated as became. So now the earth became formless and empty. Amazing the difference that one word can do, huh? <laughs> but it, and it, so that would mean that the earth that what was there became corrupted. So there is this gap of time in one one to one two, and then we see these like darker images and God moving over them. What does this mean? Well, they would say that if there's a gap, you know, the question is what took place? Well, there's this war that we see talked about in scriptures of uh, in heaven, and the and the devil fell. I mean, after all, the serpent was in the garden and it was trying to corrupt the creation, wasn't it? So there is probably some truth in that, uh, you know, as far as uh, in their view. So. Some say that this would be when the angels fell. Maybe there was even a previous earth beforehand with a different kind of humanity or another creation. Maybe this is where the angels and demons lived beforehand, and God wiped it out and judged it um, and through the void. And, that, and, and, and this idea of God hovering over the depths was really God kind of standing in the gap and holding the evil forces at bay. 
And then they would parallel this with what, uh, with what Noah says, uh, or what God says to Noah in Genesis 8, I believe. No, 9. Uh, Genesis 9, where he goes, you know, I will never again... It suggests it happened before. I will never again destroy the earth with water. So they, so uh, they, and then of course that was this big miraculous thing. And then you have the rainbow and all that. So it, it makes people have wondered that. Okay, did God then have this creation before that was Eve that got corrupted before Satan broke it and destroyed it and it was so corrupted God had to wipe it out with water again and then he was holding this evil and sin and demonic forces back. I don't know. That's kind of an interesting thought. Uh, and of course, during that gap of time, millions or billions of years could have passed. You know, who knows how long it took for all that to happen. Um, then gap theorists also believe um, that, again, that formless and void indicate this. And so, anyhow, you get the idea. The idea is that there's a gap of time. Maybe the war from heaven took place then. And the concepts are just the idea of God creating order from chaos. And that is a literary theme in Genesis, no matter what position you take, is God creating or, uh, order from chaos. And I think that's important to understand. So the gap theory is interesting. Uh, it's the idea of restoring the creation, which means that that also explains why things maybe are older uh, as far as material and matter is concerned, because God, instead of maybe creating things ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created things um, from existing material that may have existed long beforehand. So God took it, that, that earth and then created it. So anyway, uh, created a new creation from it, and he restored his old creation, and then at the end times, he'll restore it again. So the whole idea of the gap theory, the theological thought is restoration, restoration, restoration. So now we have the old earthers, okay? We have the old earthers. Now here's the thing. A lot of people say that um, the only reason why there's old earthers is because they want to find a way for evolution to fit into their worldview, so it's just a pandering tool. I don't think that's fair, and nor do I think that's actually correct. Uh, I think people uh, believe that the Earth was older beforehand as well. There's always debate about this. So now you might have seen a rise with the evolutionary theory, but here's the thing. There's a lot of old Earth creationists who, do, who are intelligent design people. They're not people who believe in necessarily evolutionary theory as far as that's concerned. So there's old earth evolutionists, and then there's also young earth evolutionists. That's a thing too, because the thing is, is one is dealing again with uh, biology, the other one is dealing with geology. Or in other words, the age of the earth does not equal the type of origin. So you can have different kinds of views on that. So some old earthers think scientific evidence should be taken into consideration, and you know what? It should be scientific evidence, you know, uh, or should line up with scripture. That's that's obvious. And the other thing to point out here, as far as, by the way, the old earth and uh, new earth and young earth kind of debate, is the fact that, again, these things should not divide. Okay? Somebody can have an older earth view without being hated without being divide, divided on. And same with the young earth view. It doesn't mean they've all committed intellectual suicide. It means you guys have come to different conclusions through interpretive evidence. And yes, we interpret evidence. We have evidence and we have to interpret it. So that's all there is to it. Sometimes our biases can get in the way on either side. Now you guys might go, Will, what is your thoughts on this? Look, I will say this. I'm not an evolutionist as far as that's concerned. I am an intelligent design individual. Um, and I've always said, told people I'm willing to change, but I even think that evolution, especially evolution, demands that there's a God because mutations, again, 
don't happen by accident that are helpful. You have all these different things, you know, how cells process and how many parts they need. And so it's like something you had to keep that all together in order for it to become the different life forms. So even in evolution, God is necessary. And so that's why I'm saying, I'm telling you people, God, that the point here is that if you're getting all caught up in this where you're breaking fellowship, splitting churches, and it's not going to do any good. But anyway, back to old earthers. Let's talk about these old cryptics, huh? <laughs> so anyway, science can make mistakes, right? And that's one of the things. Science can make mistakes, but these scientific theories should be considered. So yeah, science, yeah, science can make mistakes. Yeah, you know, we can all misinterpret things. Young earth people can misinterpret things, and old earth people need to can misinterpret things because they might have their bias in the way. But here's the thing. Uh, things like the Grand Canyon, how did starlight get here? How can we see that? These questions do need to be answered by young Earth and old Earthers. Uh, so anyway, and here's the other things. Not all old Earth creationists believe in evolution either. I mentioned that before, but such an accusation is unfair. Many of them reject evolution. There are there, and so the thing is that there are also a large majority. So old Earth creationists do tend to have more theistic evolutionists. And that's just because uh, evolution, in that view, needs more time. But that does not mean that one can hold an old Earth view and not be an evolutionist. So that, okay, that's making that clear. So some argue that the Bible leads to this conclusion as well. And you might go, what? I've only heard like arguments from genealogy, but hear me out. Genesis 126 gives a, a brief explanation of the creation of man. Let's read it. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created man in female, male and female. And then he talks about naming the animals and all this. So in Genesis 1.26, God gives a brief definition of the creation of man. But then in Genesis 2, it says that he made man from the dust of the earth, and that, that he planted the garden, and he then all the trees, and he put man into the midst of the garden, and that he was lonely, and that he needed a helper, and that he gave names to every single creature in creation. Uh, then he, God ripped up, put him to sleep, pulled out a rib, made a helper, and that was like the first, the, the sixth day. People go, whoa, that is way too much going on in the same day. Now, then young earth people might respond with, well, this was before the fall, things were different, they could maybe operate faster, whatever. Not the point. The words are stated as well uh, by Adam, at long last, or this at last, you know, at long last, indicating he has been waiting around for a long time. So maybe he wasn't alive for only two hours or nine hours or whatever at this point, but the fact that he was around for, you know, maybe a long period of time, and then at long last, he has a companion. So that's the idea that these people, and, the, and old earth creationists, they can go into different texts to kind of prove their point. And so an example of the alleged biblical evidence for an old earth is the account of the day in which man was created in Genesis 2. That's one of the bigger biblical linchpins that they will talk about. But this plays right into what's called the day-age theory. On, and again, these are all just interpretive methods, okay? And understand that. These aren't people trying to destroy the text. These are people trying to interpret it properly and make sense of the data that they see before them. And this happens no matter what. Each day of creation is a longer period of time than 24 hours is the main crux of the day-age theory. So each day is an age, not a literal 24-hour period. So the idea of this is that the word for day um, is argued can mean more than a longer period of time. You know, a day can mean a number of things. For example, 
Quote, in my father's day, it took three days to drive across this property in the day. So we have day in this time, meaning in this sentence, meaning era, you know, in that day, daylight during the day, and a day, which is 24 hours. So some theistic evolutionists believe that each day is describing the stages of evolution. But here's the problem is that each day that these are happening are actually goes against the general evolutionary consensus on how, what order these were evolved. So most actually rejected this. And then, of course, the other view of Genesis 1 is uh, the flat earth. No? We're not interested in that, guys? Okay. All right. You don't want to live on a Frisbee? I think it'd be cool to live on a Frisbee. But uh, what about the, you know, you all heard about the flat earth theory. What about the donut earth theory? Just kidding. Okay, we're going to move on to more, <laughs> to more important things. So uh, then let's see. We have the literary framework theory. Now, guys, I do want to say this. Of all the views, this is the one we should all hold to. We should all hold on to the literary framework theory because this plays directly into your, uh, the other interpretive methods. This is where everyone should be united. I remember when I said that there's like concepts that we should all be united on. For example, I might not, uh, I'm not a Calvinist, but I have a lot of Calvinist brothers and sisters. So, but the point of, you know, that's our, I got our understanding of God's knowledge, mankind's free will, and how the gospel works mechanically behind the scenes. But we do know how it, the gospel works in, in the front scenes, right? Like on stage itself, which is preaching the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and repent and believe in his name, right? That's what we're preaching. That's what we're teaching. So therefore, I can lock arms with somebody like a Calvinist or lock arms with somebody who's more of a Pentecostal and... You know, guys, we're proclaiming the gospel. Let's do this together. So the same idea comes with the literary framework. This is something we should all be able to agree on, and this is where we should all be united on because it's keeping the main thing the main thing. So the way the creation story is actually, you know, I, I don't think I can hop into this quite yet. Literally, this happened in my church, and I think there I had one person out of these three people I'm going to mention that was willing to work in unity, and these other two were definitely struggling. They did it, but they struggled. I literally had three types of cosmology, uh, uh, three different views of the universe, and they were all three of these men were ran, ran into each other at church, good guys, all three of them, and they're all engineers. So they're all highly intelligent people, uh, and they're all very good at the maths, the thing I'm not very good at. And uh, one of them is a staunch young earth creationist. The other one was a staunch old earth evolutionist, theistic evolutionist, and then the other one was brace yourselves, this is going to come to as a shock to some of you, was actually a flat earther, which is why I mentioned it. And all three of them were in on each other. I mean, they had graph paper out. They were going ham. I mean, it was everyone, no one was taking prisoners. And I just remember I was sitting there, I was like, well, y'all have fun with that. I'm not getting involved because honestly, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a biologist. I don't care about this topic at much at all. You want to believe that the earth is, you know, X billion years old, more power to you, man. You want to believe it's young? Sweet. You want to live? Uh, uh, believe that we live in a snow globe? Whatever, bro. I'm with you. You know, like whatever. You know, I, I really, honestly, I just don't care enough. I, I'll be, I'll be honest. Maybe I should care more. I just, I just don't. I'll just be honest with you all about that. Because uh, me, again, main thing, main thing. That's kind of the way I approach my theology in general. So. 
The way the creation story is arranged is, is to set up a framework of understanding the truth of creation. So the idea here is to make sure we flex our understanding to being what are, what's the main point here? Well, this is mostly, most likely perhaps because Moses is creating a framework to give to Israel since they were raised in Egypt for so long. You know, they were raised as the sun itself being God, being the sun god Ra. So Moses is using their framework saying, no, the sun isn't God. It was created by God. And now throughout this entire Genesis 1 account and the early chunks like Genesis 2 as well, there is this Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is totally different than English poetry. It doesn't rhyme. It's not having this cadence. Instead, it's this interflow of ideas. It's constantly calling back and reflecting on ideas that previously mentioned. So it's this nice, cool little ebb and flow of literary themes all the way through. This is important. I'll explain as to why this is important with this. So perhaps it's Moses just creating this framework. So the sun isn't God is what he's saying. The sun isn't Ra. The sun isn't God. The sun was made by God. It was created by God. So he's making a theological statement. And this happens a lot of times when, when the Bible's making theological statements, we tend to overcomplicate it and try to make a, say, make a scientific statement, a historical statement, things along that nature. When, some, when Usually it's trying to just make a theological statement. So on this view, the days and order of creation are not necessarily meant to be understood literally, but as a way of arranging the important material. What do I mean by that? Well, to take Genesis 1 as literal and historic um, would be to misunderstand the point. The point here is the material. The point here is that these are all objects or creatures made by God. And remember when I said that the Hebrew poetry reflects ideas that I mentioned before and they interweave them? I want you guys to notice something. If you go to every, if you see the parallel between all three, if you go the first three days and the last three days, and then I want you to put them in a little graph, put the first three days on top, one, two, and three, and then four, five, and six directly underneath them, and you'll see this in the sets of three. I'm just going to read you a part of this, okay? I'm just going to read you about the, the light. So it says right here, um, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light and that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called that light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, and that was one day. Then verse 14 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for the seasons and for the days and the years. And then he talks about the lights more. Notice how he talks about, all right, I'm, here's the concept of lights, and then three days later, the actual lights themselves. And you'll notice this as well, okay, he creates land and then land animals three days later. And if you, if you really look at this, there's this, that's the poetry. It's interweaving the ideas through. And the idea is not the fact that, hey, God did just create this. He took the time and they're all interweaving. They're all interweaved. They're all connected. And there's a mirroring in the text. And it's kind of cool. So the idea is the literary, the literary view is the fact that God had to create it. Whether you believe in old, young, donut earth, doesn't matter. Whatever you believe, God had to have created it. Even if you're an evolutionist or an, or an intelligent design guy, doesn't matter. So then there's other weirder views though. I will say this, and these are where I'm like, okay, I know we can work in unity with people, but these do get a little too vague for me. 
Even I, me, Mr. Let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya and only rebuke false teachers. So, um, but, and before someone goes, well, the old earth or the young earth is a false teaching. Look, again, interpretive things there. Um, certain things the Bible makes very clear about, and we need to rebuke things against the things that are very clear. The things that we, you, there are, so, there is more nuance in, we should allow for some nuance. And then some good discussion debate in the church. But John Walton created what's called the functional creation view, which he believes that much of the creation in Genesis 1 is referring to God's declaring of the function of the particular thing, like the sun makes light is his idea, as opposed to God created the sun. Uh, and he uses the idea that the word for creation is bara, which means creation, but Walton believes it is more referring to material function as opposed to material existence. So thus, nothing actually gets made in Genesis 1 in his view, but rather their function is declared, which seems very strange and very watery and very allegorical and uh, very much uh, almost nonsensical. I really just don't think that view holds up. Um, and that's coming from a guy who can see most people's views and understand why. So we have to understand that you know there there are things going on and uh, and you know other theological themes. It's like that we see the Trinity maybe at the very beginning, right? God, which is Elohim, which is a present plural perfect. Uh, so we have a plural tense, and, and then we see the Spirit of God moving over the face of the earth. And this was in the beginning. And in John one, we see in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, and that was Jesus. So there's so many little neat little things here. Um, other people say that like uh, that day and night does doesn't just describe the solar bodies. Some people actually believe that it's trying to make a theological point um, uh, on the conflict of light and darkness, like indicative of good and evil. So like in 1 John, like John 1 says, the light is the light of men. And then Genesis 1 says, let there be light. And then does, you know, that means that possibly Jesus was created. And also people get really weird with this. I think it just... Uh, of course, we know that Jesus actually preexisted those things, creations. So this, this theory gets crazy anyway, because it says that all things were made by him and through him. So I don't think those actually hold up very well at all either. So um, really, this whole story is about God organizing a place of life. God doesn't have to organize each and every cell and each and every moment. He can create things so that they operate themselves as well. Uh, I had one person ask me on TikTok, on our little TikTok channel there, that, uh, oh, yeah, well, if God is real, then why is the universe still expanding? And I'm like, I don't even know how to answer. What kind of question is that? God doesn't have to organize each day and every cell and each and every mov movement. He can create things that operate themselves as well. Like, anyway. So he created each to its own kind. I believe that's important to notice as well. That's why I am an intelligent design guy. Each animal is able to reproduce after its own kind. Um, and he says that it was good. Now, does this mean that God didn't know what was going to happen? No, I don't believe that's fair at all. Um, because the Bible uses anthropomorphic language. Like it says that he, God remembered Noah. Well, he never forgot Noah, but it's using anthropomorphic language, human language, so that we can understand God. Like when it says that he stretches things out, like he stretched out the heavens, it's not like he's actually stretching out, like Stretch Armstrong, okay? There's a 90s reference for you. Um, you know, so there, those are some ideas there. Well, of course, then my, the most important part for, for humans is the image of God, that God created us in his image. This is the idea that man has dominion over creation, that man has intellect, that he has self-awareness, he has consciousness, that he has morality, that he has a soul, and that he has free will. It's all going to that. And I think it's important to acknowledge. That's why I cannot hate another brother in Christ. You know, I can't sit there and flippantly call people God haters if you've been up to par with the drama lately. Um, if not, check out our uh, Pastor Sexton video and you'll see what we said. Um, so we can't say that because to sit there and 
slander somebody. It's a slander, an image of God. To hate somebody is to hate an image of God. So I have to treat it with care. I have to be careful with it. Um, you know, love people and, and try our best to show the grace of God and it's while still speaking truth. It's, it's a tough balancing act, guys. It really is. Um, but anyway, so this is a suggestion I just was that came to my head recently more and more. So I think there's a certain way that we, we should teach things in church and a way, a way that's not taught very often. You know, instead of whenever we disagree, getting a huff and a puff and going down the, going down the road and starting our own separate church to, and to have a little hissy fit with, I think we should really consider teaching multiple, multiple perspectives in our churches, keeping the fundamentals of fundamentals. That's why I chose to uh, be a student at Trinity uh, Seminary, because they, they have, I've literally had um, dispensational teachers to covenant theology teachers. I've had um, Calvinists. I've had Molinists as teachers. I've had uh, whatever you call Arminians. I've had all of them as teachers. And it's great because it allows me to learn different perspectives. Um, Brian's going through this a little bit at his church, um, and he's not with me tonight, obviously. But Brian and I both believe in what we call the apostate doctrine, which we believe somebody can walk away from the faith. Now, not everybody believes that, and that has become a very unpopular view in the last 500 years since the eternal security position. Now, um, his pastor is an eternal security guy. He's uh, technically that, uh, since we believe in apostate doctrine, that puts us in the conditional security camp, but not that we can't work our way out of it. It's just when we completely reject God. Difference between a weak faith and doubting faith and the faith of a mustard seed and completely rejecting God, hating his guts, despising him, and saying that you no longer believe in him and turning your, wife, turning your life around into debauchery and making a shipwreck of your faith. Totally different thing. But okay, so we, I have my position, he has his position. So Brian is literally, when he goes to teach in Sunday school, he literally goes, here's the view that I hold to, and here's how we and I'd interpret these verses. But Pastor Travis, these are the ways they interpret these verses. These are, these are the pluses, these are the minuses, these are the counters. Um, you guys ought to decide for yourself on that. And I think that's healthy because it allows us to go, okay, maybe you're not a heretic. Maybe I just need to understand your position better and maybe not hit your guts for have, holding to a different one. Same thing with covenant theologists, with dispensationalists, with rapture people, non-raptured people, continuationists, and cessationists, all these people. All of us need to be, learn to, hey, maybe we should just have these interactions and teach through these things at church, and I think that would create a healthy environment, and it would also help us to learn from one another instead of creating more and more echo chambers in our churches, because we don't need more of that. We have a church, we have a, a world that is dying and going to hell for lack of the gospel and for lack of a proper articulate Christians, and we will sit there and fight and divide over whether or not, you know, you have free will and whether God saves you or through, through the preaching of the Holy Spirit, that God saves you th despite your will or you choose God, who cares? Your people are getting saved. I don't, I, you know, maybe we shouldn't be fighting over those little, little tertiary issues. Uh, you know, if you're a cessationist, well, I don't believe God has the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, then, well, doesn't mean it's a sin for somebody to act out like they, and believe that they actually do. Or if, what if they actually do and you're wrong? So how about this? How about we just put down the pitchforks and torches and learn to go, oh, you know, I see your point. And I, I see how that's consistent, still able to be consistent with the text. Because we're all trying to understand God better. And we're all going to get to heaven one day and probably find out we had something wrong. Probably just going to happen. 
Um, but God's good and God is merciful, so we need. And if God can love and save me and be in fellowship with me when I'm wrong, and I'm wrong probably a lot more than I'd like to be, and same with, then we can do that with each other. We can be in fellowship with one another when we're wrong, as long as we're not seeking all sorts of different like heretical things that are completely contradictory to the God of Scripture. So anyway, uh, that's my little chat and rant for today. I hope this Genesis overview of uh, views of creation was helpful for you. Sorry if I sounded scratchy. Sorry if I seemed off. I'm, I feel like death. I don't know why. Like I said, I feel like death and Hades just opened up and vomited all over my eyeballs, and I'm, I'm just exhausted. I don't know what's going on right now, guys. But I really appreciate you all listening. Uh, our The platform's been growing, which is crazy. And if you have any topics you'd like us to cover, please email them to us at thechurchsplit at gmail.com. We will try to get to them. And if you have any people that you think would be great for us to interview and have on and discuss a particular topic, please drop us their information as well. So anyhow, thank you guys for watching. Like and subscribe to the channel. Do not forget to do that. And uh, we'll catch you later on the next episode of The Church Split.